welcome to Swarthmore Presbyterian Church's podcast. This is your host, Alex Evangelista. We are delighted you are here, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You are now listening to a sermon recorded for August 15, 2021, titled Bound to Hope by Reverend Sarah Cooper Seawright. Let us pray. Creator God, source of all that is good, fount of all joy, we ask for our daily bread, and we trust that you will provide it. Likewise, we pray for your overwhelming presence to envelop us completely, enfolding us into the heart of your action in this world today. Amen. It is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, ocean, cryosphere, and biosphere have occurred. By now, many of us have heard this definitive statement, one of several presented in all caps, bold text headlines from an extensive report released this week by the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The study, conducted by more than 200 scientists around the world and approved last week by 195 governments, is the sixth in a series of climate assessments done since 1990. Over this time, the specificity of measurement and the ability to confirm causality has only increased. Each of the last four decades has been successfully warmer than, successively warmer than any decade preceding it since 1850. Further still, human influence has warmed the climate at a rate that is unprecedented in at least the last 2,000 years. As you read through even the highlights, repeated use of terms such as likely, extremely likely, and virtually certain are used as the methodical recitation of human impact on increases in annual precipitation and global retreat of glaciers and warming of ocean temperatures and increases in sea level rise and shifting climate zones is the ever nearer ticking of the telltale heart. Listen, can you hear it? I'm pretty confident that for most of you, no report was needed to confirm this fact. But if it was in any way unsure before, it is more clear than ever now that our way of life impacts the created world. And in return, the created world impacts our way of life. We are inextricably tied to one another. 
To deny it is selfish at this point. To ignore it is bordering on sinful. It is like this was intended to be so. By now, we've spent six weeks of a creation series highlighting this theological understanding that God is the careful and loving creator, maker of all living things, and that God's love calls humans to good stewardship of creation while also inspiring awe at the many complexities still being revealed. But we have also confronted this along the way, that we as humans prove ourselves distracted, easily swayed, eager to hold on to our own freedoms at the expense of another's. So perhaps it is only fitting now to come to the Apostle Paul who pipes up emphatic and bordering on poetic as he insists that not only did God create the world as one, but God in Christ will redeem the world as one. Centuries before any report made news, Paul's theological argument mirrors this modern ecological one. The suffering of the earth and of humanity is inextricably linked. And just as tightly bound is the salvation of both. The whole creation groans. Listen, can you hear? For a breath of fresh air, for a taste of clean water, for a change of habit, for cessation of frenetic activity, for renewal of habitats? Did you know that melting glaciers can sound like frying bacon? The sizzling and cracking and popping is now carefully monitored by scientists to help determine the speed of their melting. We, of course, groan inwardly as well. Listen. Can you hear it? For a cessation to daily violence and vitriol, for labor that doesn't exploit our neighbors, for life that is sustaining and sustainable, for healing in our sick bodies and in those we love, for the will to hold dithering politicians and leaders to account. We well know what our groaning outwardly sounds like. Like the wailing of a family whose home is lost to a flood. Like the wheezing of a firefighter who spent weeks on the front lines trying to control the spread. Like the cries of children clinging to the side of a boat full of people seeking safety anywhere but home. It is visceral this groaning, these sounds. We can feel it rising up in our stomachs, our hearts skip a beat, pulling at our insides. Paul evokes this physical sense with his words to the Romans 
tying the groaning of creation to the messy and lengthy and painful and life-changing and human experience of labor in childbirth. It is an experience unmatched by others I have had, one that requires more than one might think that she can give, and for an outcome that can be uncertain. The possibility is for unexplainable joy or for deep loss. The first moments of our youngest, in the first moments after our youngest daughter Ella was born, she did not cry. The nurse handed her to me, but she had not yet taken her first full breath. The seconds of this silence felt like hours. As the doctor took her back into his arms, quickly cleared her tiny mouth, making way for the best cry that we had ever heard, breaking the anxious hush. I promise you it was the sound of redemption, the fulfillment of hope. But the waiting for it was excruciating. It was momentarily paralyzing. For what the fullness of life that we could not yet see or hold or love, could we hope? And this is precisely where Paul locates us, in between, as creation and humanity labor together with an uncertain outcome, it seems. At the point of paralyzing dread, telling us to hope for, in hope we will be saved, hope that we cannot see but must wait for with patience, Are you kidding me? Through all of the noise and the pain and the chaos and the fear for more than mere minutes that feel like hours, but for years, centuries, we are still here waiting on the fulfillment of the redemption and the end of our mutual groaning. It is almost unbearable some days the hope. This week was prime example as we were confronted with the fact that no matter what we do now, some effects are locked in. How did you receive this, I wonder? I felt it. I feel it in my body, the anxiety building added to all else that we hold right now. Many of you, like me, made changes to your life and habits years ago and continue to adjust. Composting instead of throwing away, reusing instead of purchasing new, electric over hybrid, over gas. Our children, taught well in school, remind us to recycle. And perhaps yours, like mine, Ella now well knows how to use her voice. Thank you very much. Make well-founded comments from the back seat on just how much we drive everywhere. Don't you know it's bad for the earth? 
But even with this, with the changes made by so many, we know it is not enough. Individual acts matter, but collective ones, as much or more so now, are what will make the change. And I have to admit to feeling a certain amount of hopelessness in the face of it all. The politically convenient fragmentation of points of view on climate change and its causes, the disunity in how we see one another and understand our relationship to one another and the planet, the misplaced desire that, that drives consumption and decision-making, sometimes it is just enough to pull us off of the idea of hope or redemption, definitely patience. A colleague recently likened our challenge as a society facing pandemic mitigation strategies to a group project to which we are set in school. We know how well those often go. Her question in the end, unlike what many of us may have experienced with group projects was, can we this time truly work together for the good of all? Redemption, hope, in the face of it, they feel irresponsible almost, passive, wishy-washy. They feel emotionally exhausting, hope in particular. But it is just at this moment in our weakness, in our exhaustion and our overwhelm, that Paul speaks up. He reminds us that the Spirit steps in, although she hasn't been there this whole time anyway, dressed in shades of creation, no less, with tongues of fire and gusts of wind and wings like a bird. Well, it is still Pentecost in the church, after all, even in the midst of August. Do we remember that in the Acts of the Apostles, the Spirit arrived as a fierce wind blowing open locked windows and giving everyone there ability to hear and to understand, even for the briefest moment? That Spirit continued on as flame and came to the children of God to wake them up, stir them up, disquiet them, burn the blinders from their eyes, in effect, the Spirit spoke and all understood her message. Stop wondering and worrying over what is next and start participating in it. So Paul pulls again on the visceral memory of this same Spirit, dressing her for yet another job among us as we wait and worry and sigh and groan, this time the midwife to creation and to us, sighing alongside us the way you do when there are no words, when the outlook is bleak and the creek beds are dry and cracked and outrage fatigue has set in, inciting us to pray the way that you do when there is nothing left to do, when pain is too great and pressure is too much and strength is spent, for prayer is action in the Christian tradition. 
dwelling, encouraging, challenging, listening, bearing with us in the midst of the pain and interceding on our behalf to bring forth the redemptive cries of life and something new. Hopelessness is not an option before us, nor is hope any less action. As easy as it would be to question the efficacy of hope in this moment, the Spirit does not allow it. Christian groaning and waiting, you see, these are rooted in our hope, in the promise that we know, and Christian witness is the act of it. So we do, we do hope for that which we cannot see, We can no longer allow climate change to be just a conversation or a debate we're sometimes too overwhelmed to engage because scripture tells us that there is no question that God intended humanity and the created world to have impact on each other. We must continue to be influenced in our individual and family choices by this understanding and by our sense that to be good stewards of this earth is inextricably linked as an act of loving our neighbor, just as Jesus told us we ought. Still further, we are challenged, I think, to be purposeful in how life at 727 Harvard Avenue might change as we lean further into our identity as spirit-led stewards and as we witness outwardly our commitments. I wonder if after a summer spent praising God our maker, admiring creation and rooted more deeply, more intimately within it, what might the Spirit be saying to us? Turning our groans into shouts of joy, our sighs into glorious freedom, Listen, can we hear it? Thank you for tuning in to this sermon, recorded for August 15, 2021, titled, Bound to Hope, by Rev. Sarah Cooper Searing. We'll see you soon, may the peace of Christ be with you.